podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com fedcontracts. with the uh, second ever Ladies in Red um, podcast with the Day Trippers. And I'm hosting our pod tonight. I've got um, Rupa and Amara. Say hello, ladies. Hey. Hi, everyone. And we've got a special guest tonight. Um, We actually have uh, Bill Shankly's grandson, um, Chris. Hello, everyone. Hi, Chris. How are you? So it's it's good to speak with you again, Chris. so wanted to have uh, Chris on tonight so that we could um, just, you know, have a chat. We're going to break this up into two parts here for the podcast. Um, the first couple, um, the first part of the podcast, we'll talk a little bit, um, ask Chris a few questions about himself, his granddad, um, you know, his thoughts on um, our current manager, our squad, and then we'll move over into talking about um, our last match against Newcastle and start talking about, um, you know, a preview to the Manchester United match if we have time. Um, so, Chris, if we can dive right in, um, I'd like to just ask you a little bit about what it's like to be um, Bill Shankly's grandson, um, you know, the man who basically transformed Liverpool from second division to the winners of, of three division cups, two FA cups, four charity shields and the UEFA cup. Um, pretty much the most famous figure in the club's history. Um, pretty much our biggest legend and the man who has a statue outside of Anfield. Um, so what is it like to be his grandson um, in Liverpool? Do you get recognized often um, at Anfield or even just walking around the city. Um, if we could have some background on that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, we've got recognised uh, more over recent years. Obviously, we've, we've come on, on with the Shanky Hotel, we've come on the Shanky Tour adventure. So, obviously, the publicity that's come on the back of that, 
um, in local media and the national media as well has meant that um, you know you, you do get recognised a little bit. But to be honest, I mean I've been going the game since it was uh, since it was seven. A lot of seasons I get since it was seven. Um, I've gone to all the away games since it was about fourteen, probably. Um, so most of the people who would go to the game with knew who my granddad was anyway, and it just becomes um, I don't know, you just you just know it, and it's kind of everybody's got past that now and things. So you know, I get asked quite a lot, what's it like to be his grandson? And obviously, um, you know, we're insanely proud as a family of what what he achieved, you know, throughout his career and things. Um, but you know, we, we can I can never really answer the questions. Obviously, it's great, and we're obviously hugely proud and things and. Obviously, as a as a as a huge red, it's nice and stuff. But um, you know, he's just um, he's just he's just our granddad to us as a family, I suppose. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so you've been a season ticket holder since you were seven. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's obviously been um, you know huge Liverpool family. We've obviously grown up with him, and you know I've you know I think obviously Liverpool football club probably one of the first things I ever knew. Um, it's one of my first memories, and you know it was a uh, it was inevitable, I suppose, that you know I was going to sort of share that love of the game and things, and um, you know Liverpool Football Club have become a huge part of my life. Like I said, I've been going since I was seven, been all over the world with them. I'm still doing it now. They've you know given me some some incredible memories over the years, but there's also given me some, some shocking ones as well. Um, but you know, you know that, that that that's that's what football fan is, isn't it? It's up and down at the end of the day. We support the team through thick and thin, and you know we're we're, we're still there every week at the moment as well. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So, what was when was your first game? Do you? I mean, do you remember? Because you've been going for so long, it seems. Yeah, I, don't, I don't actually remember me 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 actual first game. Um, well. <laughs> I have a strange first memory, to be honest, because um, when, I, when I was little, obviously growing up in Liverpool as a city, um, and having Everton as our, as our near rivals, and, you know, sort of, I, I was born in 82, so growing up throughout the 80s, um, you know, Everton had a fairly decent side as well, and as a kid, one of my early memories is that I think I, I thought there was only two football teams that existed, Liverpool and Everton. <laughs> That was all you ever used to see here as a kid, you know, growing up in a, in, a, in a city like this. And um, it, it seems to be like not until, you know, got a little bit older that you seem to realise there was actually other teams out there as well. So, um, and that's, like I say, obviously from, from growing up in Liverpool, there's such an, um, you know, a lot of banter and, you know, between between both sets of fans. And, you know, it, it's, it means so much to both fans. But I can't actually physically remember me, 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 me first game, just, you know, um, you know, that was that was around seven sets when, when I started going, and like I say, yeah, I've, I've clocked up a fair few games since then. Yeah, no, I figured. I, I thought when you mentioned that you've been, you know, you've had been a season ticket holder since seven. I'm thinking, when I'm seven, do I ever have a lot of memories before then? I'm, I was wondering if you remember your first game, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Because you mentioned the hotel, and I wanted to bring that up and talk about that as well. So, I mean, of course, that's one of the reasons, I mean, that's the main reason I'm connected to you. So, I, of course, as you know, really enjoyed the tour that I took um, Mm -hmm. with, uh, through your hotel um, a few months back. So, just in case, you know, 
anyone's wondering or you haven't heard, um, of course, there's the football theme, Bill Shank, you know, the Shankly Hotel, it's themed after your granddad, um, just, you know, for our listeners to know, um, in Liverpool, um, you know, some of our listeners have been to Liverpool, some of them haven't. It's a fantastic hotel. If you ever go to Liverpool, you have to visit, um, you have to stay there, <laughs> in my opinion. And, um, yeah. And, um, you guys just started these fantastic new tours and, um, you know, I took the tour and so just so everybody knows, um, it was a bespoke tour, which means it was a package tour that included the stadium tour, um, the Beatles and city tour, and then, um, a tour at the hotel, which includes artifacts of your granddad, of mm-hmm. his life, um, as a manager, even as a player, it was unbelievable the amount of stuff that you had that your family has saved. I mean, I saw, you know, letters to supporters, um, just letters in general that he had typed up over his career, medals from his career, his shirts from his time as a player, um, and as a manager, um, that uh, the, the, the original keys to the Shankly Gates, there was just so many artifacts and just what I'm wondering is how did your family end up saving all of those um, and bringing this all together? You know, how did, if you could just tell us a little bit about the hotel, just, you know, the tour and then just how you guys ended up saving all these artifacts and bringing this together with the hotel. Cause I just found it fascinating and amazing and I thoroughly enjoyed the tour. Yeah. I mean, the hotel (laughs) concept was was mine individually going back um, over over 10 years ago or more now and you know the idea of the hotel for us as a family is to make sure that it's something which um celebrates who my granddad was celebrates his achievements his career his successes um celebrates who he was as an individual and, and tells people about his life and, and what he stood for and cements his legacy really just with this generation but obviously future generations um to come and as a family, obviously, that was you know the, the, the first real goal with the hotel. Um, in terms of the artefacts, um, 90% of what you can see on display at the hotel, we as a family actually didn't know that we had it. So um, my, my grandmother, Nessie, Nessie Shankly, when she passed away uh, back in 2002, um, we were, as a family were faced with, um, with, with clearing off the house and we discovered that literally she'd hoarded everything that ever belonged to my granddad, um, you know, down to sort of personal items like razors and watches and clothing, right the way through to paperwork, letters, um, you know, right the way through to sort of medals and, and, and trophies and things. So once we discovered that we, you know, we, we had all these items, you know, we, we felt like, you know, the best way to sort of achieve the goal of, like I said before, kind of telling the story and cementing his legacy would be through a hotel, really, because we knew that, or, or we know that, you know, the volume of visitors that Liverpool gets as a city generally, and then obviously add into that, you know, into that equation, the fact that when Liverpool play at home, the city is absolutely, you know, rammed full with football fans. We just felt like, you know, a, a hotel would be something where we could, you know, exhibit all of these items, the story of his life, provide somewhere for people visiting the city, obviously, to stay um, and achieve all those goals in one, really. So, um, 
it sort of it, it sat as an idea with me for, for for over ten years, like I say, and then about three or four years ago, I actually decided to get serious with it and actually do something about it. Um, and what happened then was that I I basically set about pitching the idea to to investors within the city, um, because the way the hotel works is we as a family, as the family, we part own it with a company called Signature Living. Um, we were huge in Liverpool in terms of hotels and hospitality. Um, in fact, they're going to be huge um, nationally soon and, and, and probably worldwide as well. Um, so we, well, rather me as an individual, sat about pitching the idea to a number of different people. And, and I think for us as a family, it was really, really important that we found the right people to do the project with because my granddad was known for being you know, the man of the people, the big socialist. So we needed to make sure that anybody we got into business with and delivered the hotel with really had that kind of ethos at their heart. And I probably pitched the idea to about 10 to 15 different investors and all of them wanted to do it. Um, and then I would go away and do a little bit of due diligence and do some checks and, you know, and look into the background of certain companies. And um, initially nobody really seemed right for it. And then it was when I ended up getting in front of a guy called Lawrence Kenwright, who, who, who owns Signature Living, um, that it all really started to click because um, his company had that kind of social ethos their heart. You know, they were very much about the guest experience, you know, going above and beyond. And for me, that was very, that's very Shankly. That's very kind of Shankly-esque. And there was a natural fit straight away. And Lawrence and I kind of hit it off. And, um, you know, we were sort of finishing each other's sentences with our vision for the hotel in terms of how it should look, how it should function, what we want to achieve. And I think pretty much at the very first meeting, Lawrence and I did a deal there and then, such, such as the, the, the sort of the confidence we had in each other. And, you know, immediately we set about looking to find a building and, you know, you fast forward three years from that point, we found the building, we developed it out and, you know, we're two years old now and, and you know, we've got a, a, a top, top hotel, you know, not only in Liverpool, you know, it's within the top five rated cities, uh, uh, sorry, hotels in the city, huge reputation nationally as well. Uh, we've won multiple awards, you know, we've got a, an occupancy rate of, you know, nearly 99%, which is uncanny, really, given that most hotel averages are around 75. So it's been a phenomenal success and a bit of a roller coaster for us as a family and things. But, you know, we're just so proud to be able to have something which kind of, you know, tells me granddad's story. Yeah, and, you know, I can definitely chime in there and say I can see why it would be such a success because, I mean, every time I go in there, it's just always busy. Even if I just go in there to eat a meal, um, there's just always so many people in there, which, by the way, if anyone ever wants to go in there even just to have a meal, there's so many amazing artifacts just all over in the hotel. I mean, it's just just football-themed anywhere, and if anyone loves, you know, Liverpool Football Club, you can just walk in there and spend a whole hour or two just walking around, you know, and just checking out all the decor. It's amazing. And, um, you know, I even had a chance to see the rooms and um, just, you know, see all the decor up up in uh, the rest of the hotel. And I know you guys always have so many um, hen parties and sorry, we, we call them bachelor bachelorette parties. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have I always just see so many different parties and themes and fun things going on every time I step foot in your hotel and it's just it's amazing um love visiting love going there um thoroughly enjoy the tour so I have another question um 
for you as well. So what, um, you know, just to try to, just to change the subject a little bit about um, Klopp and um, our current squad, what um, do you, so what are your thoughts on Klopp and what do you think your grandfather would think of our current manager? Um, I mean, I, I've, I've been privileged enough to, to meet Jürgen Klopp. He came into the hotel because he was interested in um, my granddad's history and heritage and I, I personally showed him around all the all the memorabilia, like the stuff that you mentioned before, and, and I was lucky enough to sit and have something to eat with him as well. So I spent a fair amount of time with him, and you know he, the way he comes across in the media and, and, and on and on telly and things is exactly how he is as a person as well. You know he's extremely down to earth, very easy to talk to, you know, very 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 humorous kind of funny guy. Um, I mean, my opinion on him, you know, is that I think he's a great manager. I think um, I think we've got the right person uh, in place for the football club. I think his personality fits, um, and I, you know, and I, and I like to think I'm, I'm, you know, that he'll he'll have a lot of success with us. Um, you know, he, he gets compared like a lot to my granddad because he's got that kind of social thing going on. You know, he he, he likes to interact with the fans. He's very approachable. Um, so you know it, it's nice in that respect as well, and I'm sure, obviously, to answer the question, if if my granddad was around, you know, he would he would get on with them, you know, really really well. You know, I, I, obviously at the moment, um, you know, we're not in the greatest of form, um, and I think, you know, the manager, you know, my opinion is nobody's immune from criticism, no matter who you are, and. I think probably the manager needs to take some of the blame at the moment for, for, for the predicament that the, that the team find themselves in. I think he and the coaching staff have, I think it's fairly obvious to say, they failed to address Liverpool's Achilles heel, which is the defensive problems, which, you know, they're not a new problem. They've been around for 18 months, two years now, and why they haven't been addressed um, is a little bit puzzling, really, and has left a lot of fans frustrated and scratching their head. and. You know, they've come back to haunt us on a number of occasions this year. So, you know, I think, you know, manager has to take some responsibility for that. It's not all the players at the end of the day. But, you know, you, you've just got to hope that, um, you know, he, he can find a way out of it for them at the end of the day, you know, because I, I do think long term he will be a success. Um, we've just got to try and, um, you know, address these issues together at the moment to kind of try and get off the predicament that we're in. Yeah, no, those are those are those are some good points because that was actually some of some of what we were wanting to talk to you about as well is is you know some of your thoughts there because there's 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 supporters who you know I'm sure you've seen them on Twitter the the clap out and the ones who who question the manager and um, you know like you know like you said it's it's fair to be critical it's it's fair to question him but you know there there are some that are already saying that he needs the axe and and he needs to go um and there's some supporters that are saying that the captain you know isn't good enough and one of the things that I wanted to ask you as well is you know one of the famous quotes from your granddad was at a football club there's a holy trinity of the players the manager and supporters um directors don't come in they're only there to sign the checks so I was just you know wondering what are some of your thoughts on that you know with modern day football and the supporters being really critical of the team and the manager yeah I mean, it's, a, it's a really good point to bring up you know as well because you know we, we don't know all the facts at the end of the day and when I say that you know he, he deserves some criticism you know the, the points that you, you know 
relevant with that other ones that I mentioned. You know, you know, he and his staff seem to have failed to address the you know the defending problems and things. And you know, and and, the, and what I mean by that is you know the the coaching staff and the manager work with these players every single um, day of the week. You know, I don't understand why um, you know, still making, you know what class as schoolboy era. Um, you know, in terms of defending and things, and you know, we seem to get caught by the same mistakes time in, time out. And you know, I wonder to myself, how you know, how and why aren't those issues being addressed in in in, in training? You know, and then the other side of it is as well is with with, with the playing personnel as well. You know, you, a lot of us are scratching our head at the moment over, you know, things like you know, why is Alberto Moreno, you know, been given this huge reprieve when we've signed a left back in the summer who looks to be. A fairly decent player, and he can't kind of you know get a look in at the moment, which again is is left players kind of scratching the uh, sorry fans scratching the head, and then obviously the big one as well is you know why 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 did he not go out and sign not just one centre half but two centre halves given given the Buffalo's glaring issues last season, and you know these are the questions which are still out there, and I want to say you know you don't know always know the facts, and and, and so then bring in the relevance if you quote with the Holy Trinity. You know, you don't know what confines he's working within with in terms of the board, you know, so we, we don't necessarily know what he was allowed to spend in the summer. We don't know we just don't know what control the board have over him in terms of signings and things like that. And you know, it's not something that he as a manager I think would go public with while he was at the football club because you know you don't really want to rock the boat up or cause any discontent. So I think at the moment, Jürgen's problem is that he's kind of playing a little bit of a balancing act. I think he, you know, he's he's trying to encourage the players that he's got, you know, because he can't really work with anyone else at the moment because he's not signed anybody or been allowed to sign anybody. You know, he, he's got to, you know, he's stuck with these players until January, and rather than kind of crucify them in the press, um, we'll have to, he's trying to kind of build confidence because what else can he kind of do at the moment? So. Um, he's playing a little bit of a balancing act, and you know, and you, you've got to have some kind of sympathy for him because, as I say, you, you know, you, you never know all the facts behind the scenes. But um, you know, the questions are out there, aren't they? And then a lot of fans are kind of getting a little bit frustrated. And you know, I just think people jump on pop out campaigns. I just think is absolutely ridiculous. To be honest, I mean, I think you know, I know football is an extremely fickle sport. Um, you know, and these days managers don't get any time of time to you know better team in or lay down foundations, certainly not like you used to in, in, in sort of previous days and things. But, you know, I think I think it's fair to say that anybody kind of jumping on the clock out bandwagon probably uh, needs to have a little bit of a word with themselves because, you know, it will never prove going to go and get who's any better than the manager that they've got now. Yeah, that's always a question I ask the, the clock out brigade is, is who would they have in place of them? And I... Never received a good answer to that, and I'm I'm with you as well. You know, for for me, I I am very much into the long term project. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in managers having a chance and not sacking managers. That's not the Liverpool way. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it's it's he definitely deserves some criticism. Um. There's a lot to be addressed, and I question as well, you know, why some of these issues aren't being addressed in training, you know, what's going on, and and it seems it's just the same, you know, scenario over and over, um, which is 
what we were actually going to get into next is, um, you know, chatting a little bit about our last game um, against Newcastle. And yeah. um, but before we do, we're just going to break um, for a quick message from our sponsor. And um, so, Rupa, I'm going to take a little break from chatting and asking a bunch of questions and um, let you chime in a little bit on our last game. Yeah, so one all against Newcastle, it was horrible. First of all, the journey coming back was just awful. But to go one goal up and to not keep that lead for longer than, what was it, was it seven minutes? That's, so, yeah, yeah, that's, minutes, yeah. That, that free kick, amazing, incredible, like top bins. I called it before it happened and it was just brilliant. But then after that, we just crumbled straight away. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the Newcastle game was, was probably felt a little bit like defeat. Um, yeah. More than anything, and like you say, the feeling travelling back in Newcastle of complete, you know, sort of deflation. And, you know, I think it exposed. Um, or rather not exposed, but just reiterated the number of, of issues that we're facing. I think, and I think the first thing to notice was was that, you know, we all know what you're going to get when you play against an Rafa Benitez side, because we've been a Rafa Benitez side, so, you know, he'll set his sides out to be extremely organised, extremely difficult to break down, and, he, you know, he sets his teams up not to play to their strengths, but to nullify the sense of the opposition, and Liverpool should have really known that they were going to face, you know, two banks of four, um, difficult to break down. And, you know, we've obviously, we've huffed and puffed a little bit. And, and as usual, you know, Coutinho's, you know, pulled off a piece of magic and, 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 and broke the deadlock, which has given us a little bit of breathing space. But I think the frustrating thing then, you know, secondly, is just how easily Liverpool were opened up for the equaliser. And, I think I compared it on the day to the same pass which opened Liverpool up against Manchester City for Aguero's first goal. Yeah. I mean, you know, professional footballers at this level, you know, centre-halves getting split open by one one straight pass. So to me, is is is, is shocking and, and, and just isn't good enough. And, you know, it, it's happened again for the second time, which means we aren't learning from our, from our mistakes. And I think once they were equalised then... I think Liverpool's task was going to be, you know, extremely difficult going forward because, you know, is the Newcastle will go back in, they'll get organised, they'll get men behind the ball, and again it reiterated the problem that seems to have been an issue since Jurgen Klopp took over as well is that we don't really seem to have a plan B, and when teams get organised and get men behind the ball against us, uh, you know, we we lack ideas, you know, we we struggle to break the break teams down. I mean, I wouldn't. It wasn't like we were sort of creating, you know, glare and chance after glare and chance. I think, as I used the phrase before, we huffed and puffed. Um, and ultimately, we couldn't get the winner. And again, frustrating because it's it's similar issues to what we've seen in the past. Yeah, no, I Chris, agree. Sorry, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, you just mentioned how um, Benitez kind of sets up to stifle the play and I think with this last game that we played it was quite obvious that we weren't we didn't play well whereas previously we, we've only won one in the last seven games but we've been playing well in those games whereas <coughs> this one I think it was it wasn't very fluid and we but we still did enough to to kind of win the game so um 
Do you think um, that was all down to the way that Rafa um, set up or was that just Liverpool not just having an off day or how, how do, you, do you think that went? I think I think I think it shades of, of everything. You say I think I think you know certainly the Benitez factor was was a big one. Like I say, his, you know his teams are well drilled. I think I think Jamie Carragher spoke before the Liverpool game and said he's the best manager in the world at um, analysing opponents' weaknesses and, and 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 exposing them and things. And I think so. Certainly, you know his his setup on the day was it was a factor. But you know. You know, there was off days as well for, for individual Liverpool players. I think Mane had, a, had an off day. I think his first such was a little bit poor. Um, you know, and I went first Premier League game back since since the suspension. Um, I think we looked too often to Philip Coutinho, which is a bit of a frustration. Um, and it must be a frustration for him individually as well, because, you know, every single week he pulls, you know, pieces of magic out of hat and then he gets let down by, the, by a lot of the rest of the players around him as well. And... I think also we were very, very wasteful in, in the wide areas with full-backs as well, which again is a long, long-standing issue for Liverpool, you know, crosses over-hit, under-hit. Um, you know, and I think, again, I think players like Wijnaldum and Henderson, you've, you've got question marks over them, I think, anyway. That, that sort of came to the fore again. I think they were very flat. They were very side-to-side. Um, and I think when you need players to have that little bit of a you know some magic about them, I think again they got a little bit exposed in the Newcastle game as well. So I think it was a shade of everything. I think you know Benitez's tactics, but also you know Liverpool's weaknesses as well. Cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I just wanted to also ask you about um, you mentioned Coutinho and the way that he brings. He, brings his magic to the game and stuff. What do you make of all the everything that's gone on with him? Because obviously he's on this kind of path to resurgence at the moment where he's trying to make amends for maybe what happened in the summer with all the uh, transfer saga to Barcelona and everything like that. What what do you, what did you make of that? Were you, I mean, a lot of fans were angry. I've Even me personally, I was a little bit upset at the way he dealt with it, whether or not he was being pressured by Barcelona or family or whoever, we, we're not sure. But... What did you make of all that? And do you think that, um, you know, he's fully committed to the side now? I mean, he said he, had, he is, but what, what are your thoughts on it? I, I, I suppose I went through the motions with it a little bit. I think the initial the initial um, transfer request and things, I think there was anger, first of all, for me personally. You know, I thought the timing that he did it in, you know, I think he, 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 he delivered it, you know, less than 24 hours before Liverpool's first game of the season with Watford. Which I think was a little bit, you know, it lacked class in any kind of way to to to, to do that. You know, when his when his when his teammates are about to play the first game of the season, um, I was surprised by him. I have to say, and I'm, people probably think I'm a little bit naive because it's the way football is now. But I always thought there was something about Coutinho where he seemed to have um, a little bit more about him and seemed to have a little bit more loyalty. And, you know, we, we we sort of plucked him out of obscurity into Milan where, where things had gone fairly fairly poorly for him after he burst onto the scene and you know gave him the gave him the chance and he obviously took it with, with, with both hands but so I was a little bit disappointed I was a little bit angry um, then obviously you're hopeful you know you, you you think that you know if Liverpool can dig the heels in which they did um, and just sort of you know reiterate that he's not for sale and you know and try and keep hold of him and then I, I think. Towards the end of the saga, you know, you start looking at it and thinking, well, actually, you know, we can dig our heels in, but if he doesn't want to be here, do we really want, you know, a player around the club who doesn't want to play for us? And I think 
the start that Liverpool made to the season as well then. I mean, obviously Watford out the you know, um, the likes of Arsenal, um, the game there and, and Hoffenheim and things like that. You know, Liverpool were playing superbly well. So I think people are starting to think that, you know, we could do without him and things. Um, he's come back into the club now. He's come back into the fold. He says he's committed. Um, he has to, to be honest. Um, he can't go anywhere till January. So, you know, he doesn't lose anything by, you know, saying he's committed. It's whether he can actually show it on the pitch, and you've got to say that in the in the games that he's played so far, um, he looks committed. You know, he's scoring goals, he's he, he's creating chances and things like that. I don't think it's changed anything. I think um, I think he wants to go. I think they'll Barcelona will probably come back for him again, whether that's January or whether that's next summer. Um, and I think he probably will in the end after caving out and things, but. You know, take that away from the lad. He's an absolute genius. And, you know, when I mentioned before, the Newcastle game, sometimes you can see his frustration and sometimes you can actually see why you might want to go because when you're literally, you know, given everything every week and looking to make things happen and scoring goals and creating chances at one end and then at the other end, you know, you make, you know your teammates are making the same poor defensive errors, you must get frustrated and you can kind of see why you would want to go. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a lot of talk when he um, eventually did come back whether Klopp would um, bring him straight back in or not and whether or not he would teach him a lesson, so to speak. But it seems like Klopp's, um, you know, just we've just reverted back to uh, dropping him back in as as um, as he was before. Rupert, did you want to ask something? Or I think I cut um, you off before. Yeah, uh, Klopp said, uh, I think it was, af- was it after the game? He said, uh, we don't look far away from being challengers. I, I don't know what to make of that because after recent performances, we don't look like challengers at all in yeah, any I mean, in any of our competitions. Did he say that after Newcastle? Did he or or was that? Uh, yeah, this? I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> Again, you know, it, it goes back to the points made before about the careful balance and acting things. You know, he, he he's trying to he's trying to keep confidence high and things. And you know, in, in in some elements, you can kind of see where he's coming from because when Liverpool get it right going forward. They're the most entertaining team in the country to watch, and you know they've got so many goals in them, and and you know the chances they create and, and, and things like that. But the problem that he's got is is that they have, you know the complete opposite to that at the other end of the pitch, and you know I'm from the, the old school me, and I always say that you know you will never. I mean, I think I, I always bore me mates with, with the amount of times I say this, but I never make any apologies for it because I think it's true. You know, in, in football, if you don't have a solid, you know, spine to the team, a solid defence, you won't win anything consistently. And, you know, if you go back to the greatest football teams, you know, through the generations and things, you'll find one common trend, and that's that they've all got leaders, they've all got solid foundation and things. And until Liverpool can get that right, then it doesn't matter how good they are going forward. Um, it's always going to come back to haunt them in games and the, the problem that they have is that whoever we play always feels like they've got a chance of doing something against us and I, and, I, and that includes in scenarios where we may be two or three goals in front because we are that vulnerable at the back that it only takes one chance uh, and then the floodgates open and until that's addressed um, you know, we're going to continue to be, you know, up and down um, you know and, and you know, you can, to me that certainly means you'll never have any chance of winning. You know, certainly a Premier League because to win the league, 
you've got to be consistently good over 38 games of the season. And right now, Liverpool haven't got that in them, I don't feel. Yeah, so I, as yeah. you said, like the defence is our main problem. So yesterday, I think Paul Joyce said Van Dijk still wants to push for Liverpool in January. Mm. That's the only time we're going to be able to fix it this season. Otherwise, this season is a write-off, pretty much. Yeah. So do you think that we'll go for him again? I, I hope so. I think, um, you know, towards the end of, or, or certainly towards the start of the pre-season that's just gone, you know, when I was asked um, what one player would you, would you take over anybody else to improve the team, he was the name that I came out with, and he was the one that all the way through the summer, even with the the, the target that went on with the with the with the transfer, he was the one who I hoped that we would get. And I think we got a little bit. Um, I think as a football club, we got a little bit bullied in the Van Dyke saga. Really, I was a little bit disappointed um, with, with with how it kind of played out because, you know, I think we just kind of backed off too easily from it, um, and I'd have liked us to have been a little bit more aggressive over it, but we didn't. And you know we are where we are now, but um, you know there's no doubt about it. The player was, was on his way here until that point, and the player wants to play for Liverpool. He wants to play for Jurgen Klopp. Um, you know if we can go back in January and we can make that happen, then that should be Liverpool's absolute priority because you know he's 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 a youngest youngest lad. You know he's got you know all the top years ahead of him and things. And really, Liverpool can build the foundation around someone like him. Much the way, you know, if you want to go back to my granddad and Shankly, the way Liverpool did was Ron Yates when, when, when my granddad signed him. And again, there's no coincidence. That's what you do when you when you, you know when you build an great guy, you build from the back forward. And certainly, he's he's good enough a player, in my opinion, for 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 Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool to build a team around. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Kerry, were you going to say something? Oh no, I was. Just gonna piggyback off of um, what you were saying that teams always feel that they have a go against us. Yeah. Um, it's it's it, that's what makes me so nervous. Um, yeah, I mean, as I say, you know, it's 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 a bit of a roller coaster watching Liverpool at the moment because uh, yeah. I think Alexis said the same thing as well. He's there, you know, you just, you just don't know what you're gonna get, and you can't relax even when you see a three goal ahead. Um, yeah. No, you can't. You've always got that tendency to do something a bit silly at the back and let the, let the opposition back in. It's so true because we're so brilliant yeah. going forward. And even though at the moment we're going through this spell where we're not scoring goals, we should have be putting the fear of God into these defenders. But the team always knows that they've got a chance at the other end. It's like it just cancels everything out, all the hard work that these guys do up front. And it just cancels out within seconds. It's just really, really frustrating. And I think that's why um, the fans are... Obviously, some are, some are really extreme and you get the clock out and all that kind of thing. I don't think there are many of them out there, to be honest. I think it's just um, exaggerated a little bit but because I just can't believe anyone would be that ridiculous. But yeah. I, I think that's what it is. It's just really frustrating that we're literally just two or two players short of a brilliant team. And, and that's all it is, really, a midfielder and a defender. And probably that's about it. I did want to quickly ask you, Chris, about the goalkeeper situation. That's another hot topic at the moment because... Klopp seems to want to like rotate them, and I don't think uh, people think it's working. Um, yeah. Rotating the two, I uh, just wanted to know who your preferences lie with, who, you know, if, and if you're a fan, and if if you did want to give us a quick um, lineup of how you would how you would line up your team, so who you would have, because we don't know who your favourite players are. So um, I don't know if you can uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
I mean, on the goalkeeper side of it, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm completely the same and Mignolet, I think. Um, I mean, and, and from my side of it, you know, I always have been, you know, he's gotten a lot of criticism since he's been at Liverpool and, you know, like to go right the way back to an earlier point I made, you know, nobody's immune from criticism, you know, if, it, if it's if it's due, then it's due at the end of the day and you, you've got to take it. And, you know, there's, there's no doubt that, you know, over the years he had his, he's had his moments with reliability, <clears throat> more so around kicking and, 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 and coming for crosses and commanding his penalty area and things and... But, you know, the flip side from that is, is that, you know, in my opinion, he's one of the best shot stoppers in Europe, um, you know, from the other side of things. But I think you've got to give him credit, you know, the last 12 to 18 months, whatever they've done to work on him, the reliability and the kicking side of it seems to have got a lot, a lot more, lot better now. And I, I rate him as a goalkeeper, I do. And, you know, to go to the, the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, in terms of Carrius, you know, I, I don't rate him at all. I think, you know, he's come in. I think you've had a decent look at him. I think straight away when you saw him at reliability and things, you know, he looked at the show with um, you know, the catching, the kicking side of it, his decision making looks looks a little bit suspect. You know, and and the the, the problem you have with, with, with goalkeepers in that situation, and we certainly can't afford this with our defence, is that if the goalkeeper looks slightly dodgy or or, or not trustworthy that it, it breeds kind of the same sentiment with your centre-backs and you've got chaos on your hands then. And I think certainly with Carias in your, in, in, your, in your team, you know, we look you know, really kind of nerve and things. And you know, I just think that Mignolet, you've got to take your hat off to him. I think, he, you know, he's proven himself. I think he's improved. I think he's certainly improved on the things that were his weaknesses. And to me, you know, hands down all day long, I, I would start him every week. And, and this whole thing about rotating, again... I just don't understand it because when you've got a, a back four as unsettled and nervous as ours, rotating your goalkeeper week in, week out just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, so again, it's it's got me kind of scratching my head. And I, th- I think the, the problem we've got is, is that Klopp sank in a carrier and when you bring you, the player in, you know, they're your player and to not play them, you're admitting that you were wrong. And I think managers struggle to do that. So I think he's trying to kind of play him in the Champions League game as a last attempt to kind of give the lad some confidence and to see if he can amount to anything. But I mean, I'd be fairly confident to say that I don't think he can. And, you know, I'd have, I'd have Mignolet in there every week. And, and then go to, you know, what you said about my preferred team. You know, if it was Mignolet in goal, you know... The back four wise and things, you know, I, I struggle because I don't really rate any of them, to be honest. But from what we've got, you know, Klein's not fit. Um, I like the look of Joe Gomez at right back more than Alexander Arnold at the moment, so I'd probably have to go with him at right back. Um, you know, the centre halves don't rate either of them or any of them, but it would have to be Matip and Lovren from what we've got at the moment. Um, you know, moving on to your left back all day long has got to be Robertson. I don't understand the thing going on with Moreno at the moment. I think it's admirable by Klopp to give the lad a chance, but I think he's shown once again that he's, you know, extremely naive defensively. Um, and I don't think he's that great going forward either. I think he lacks an end product. Um, and then in terms of, you kind of, you know, the way that Liverpool play on the Klopp, that kind of midfield three. Um, I'd have, you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be saying an album. I like Coutinho in that three because he's a little bit deeper and it allows him to get on the ball a bit more. 
And then for me, Henderson and Chan, I could, again, I could take or leave any of them. There's one of them to sit in that three there. I don't really mind which one, because, again, I don't really rate either of them. Um, and then, as you said, I think the front three then kind of picks itself with, obviously, Mane, Salah, and then Firmino through the middle, I think. So that would that, be mine from, from, from what we've got at the moment. Yeah, I think don't think anyone's going to disagree with any of that. I think, like you said, the back four is pretty much out of necessity rather than choice. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and then I think the Hendo-Chan debate will go on and on and on. Um, we'll have to yeah. be here for hours with that one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the front three do pick themselves, yeah. All right, so that's just wrapping us up. Uh, thanks so much, Chris, for joining us. Um, it was great to have you. Um Anyways, listening, you can check them out um, at the the shankleyhotel.com, www.shankleyhotel.com. And of course, you can visit the amazing Shankly Hotel when you're in in Liverpool. And um, then you can also check us out and download the podcast at LFC Day Trippers at lfcdt.com. It's the Ladies in Red podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for the second ever um, Ladies in Red podcast. And we will see you again soon for our third one coming up. So I heard from my sister's friend's cousin that Kohl's has the lowest prices of the season and had to see for myself. For real, the deals are so good. I got my kids summer tees for $5.99, a cute swimsuit for myself for $17.99, and a shark vacuum for $199.99, which will be great after Sandy Beach Days. I got Kohl's cash too, and I got it all in less than an hour with free store pickup. So yeah, summer, I'm ready for you. Select styles ends May 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohls.com for details. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. (laughs) You love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.